Do you want to experience the thrill of a Packers game at Lambeau Field? If so, be sure to get your game tickets from the longtime trusted source in Wisconsin, Ticket King. Visit their locations in Milwaukee and Green Bay or just go to their website, theticketking.com. Again, that's theticketking.com. You're listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com. You're listening to No Huddle Radio on the Packers Talk Radio Network, your home for in-depth and thoughtful Packers analysis. I'm your host, J.J. Leahy. My co-host is my good friend, Gil Martin. In addition to this show, I host Cheese and Packers, and Gil is the host of Locked On NHL, and he writes for the Packers Post and Cheesehead TV. We're here to talk Packers because you're all here for one thing, and that's blow for Green Bay football. It is the bye week, Mr. Martin, and... Um, this is this is the least important, least meaningful bye week I can recall in many a year. Um, surprisingly, the Packers' playoff hopes still exist. They're certainly on life support, but but they're still alive. Gil, let's talk about what we want out of this offseason. And before we started recording, I made a comment to you that there was a specific year. Um, obviously I'm, I'm much younger than you have seen a lot less Packers football than you have lived through many fewer Packers eras than you have. But I pointed out a year that I felt like was just eerily similar to this season, or at least feels very similar. I'm curious if there are other years besides this one that I'm about to mention that feel like an even better fit as a comparison to you for the 2022 season for the Packers? Oh boy. You know, it's, it's a tough question. There are differences and there are similarities. I think 2018 is probably the, the best uh, analogy, at least recently, because the Packers expectations were, you know, so much higher and, you know, they weren't able to meet those expectations. And then, you know, where would they go? The big difference between now and 2018, I'm assuming that we're not going to have a coaching change, that Matt LaFleur uh, will be back. Uh, so so I think, you know, that's one big difference. And I guess, you know, the an, another year that I could think of maybe is, uh, wow. Um, I mean, 1999, you had a new coach. I don't think that really fits all that well. Uh, maybe something like 2000, which was Mike Sherman's first year. They finished nine and seven, but that even assumes that the Packers can run the table and get to nine and eight or, or, or eight and nine this year with that strong a finish. So I, I think right now, 2018 is probably the best similarity that I could think of. Yeah, that was the year that um, that I was thinking of. And 2018, uh, I'm, I'm much younger than you, but 2018 uh, was the first season that I really tried my hand at Packers commentary. You know, going from being any kind of a casual fan to, um, you know, really watching super seriously and, and following along 
you know, every little minute detail and, and commentating and, and sharing my thoughts, different places, you know, blog part posts, et cetera. Right. And I don't really recall what my expectations for the 2018 season were exactly. I know that I um, had some pessimism because of how 2017 had gone. And I, I went into the 2018 season with the, idea in my head that Aaron Rodgers um, age had really caught up to him and that he was kind of just, you know, a, a glass body waiting to break again. And so, you know, for the especially with how the 2018 season ended up going, where uh, he did get hurt in the first game and that injury seemed to linger all year. Yes does remind you of the 2022 season how he's dealing with injuries now going into the 2019 draft what I really wanted I was so fed up with the Packers just being Aaron Rodgers or nothing because mm -hmm. we had you know we had Brent Hundley and then we had Deshaun Kaiser and I just I I was sick of feeling like we couldn't survive a quarter of football without Aaron Rodgers I wanted them to draft a quarterback in the first round or two um, for two reasons. One was I was terrified of life after Rogers. And also I was just at this point, like we had gone through the 2017 season where we had like, honestly, a really good team and, and a good start to that season. And the whole thing was derailed because Huntley was so terrible. And I said, I'm, I'm ready. Like, let's just spend a first round pick on a, on a, on a second quarterback. Like, I don't care. We don't know how long Rogers is going to be here. But right. while he is here, can we have somebody else who can come in and, and win you a game or two? Mm -hmm. And obviously we didn't draft a quarterback that year. But looking ahead just one year later, when I no longer uh, felt like we needed a <laughs> high draft pick quarterback, we got one. Yeah. So, and I wrote an article before that draft. Uh, at that time, I was writing for the Sports Daily, and I wrote an article saying the Packers should wait one more year before adding, uh, before selecting the heir apparent to Aaron Rodgers. And my logic was, and it turned out to actually be pretty sound logic, mm -hmm. my logic was that this team, if you draft uh, the successor to Rodgers, he's probably going to sit two or three years yeah. before he takes over and you would still have him on his rookie contract when he was ready to start. And that allows you to put other pieces in place, take advantage of the extra cap space when you have a quarterback on a rookie contract and possibly build up a really good team around it. Whereas if you draft him in 2020, it's very likely that you won't have that. And here we are facing the fifth year option and not going most likely unless Aaron Rodgers shocks everybody and retires, we're not going to be able to put Jordan Love on the field regularly as the starter under his rookie contract. Looking back over the last couple of years, uh, do you recall who you wanted the Packers to draft in? I don't know any of the recent years. Oh boy. You know, that's, I, I you know, I did do a, no, I, you know, I, I, the, I look at it more as positions and look at possibilities. I, I tend not to fall in love with one or two possible players. So I try to look at 
what the Packers are looking for in a player, how they tend to break them down, and then, you know, pick three or four players at that position of need that fit what the team usually does, you know, height, speed, athleticism sure. uh, at the position. So I, I don't tend to, to fall in love with one particular player most of the time. Looking back over the um, high draft picks over the last few years, I I think it's an interesting conversation to have right now because we are evaluating some of the, some of our guys now um, with the benefit of having them in the league for a couple of years, right? And really feeling like maybe. The Packers in a, in a couple different levels are sort of a, a crisis of, of faith. Looking at all, all that we have dra- uh, invested into this defense and how badly it's still playing and, and uh, the way that you would say the offense has been neglected in the draft, you know, ha- has that been a mistake? Right. All very fair questions. Um, and, and, and I think it's interesting also just, just the way that some of these draft picks are starting to age now. I think right now is the highest that the fan base has ever been on Jordan Love. I mean, you ask just about anybody oh, yeah. who's a Packers fan. They're like, most of them are kind of crazy about Jordan Love right now. You know, despite the fact that we really, how many snaps did he play? Nine snaps in that Eagles game. But so, like, but, but you clearly saw that there was something there and everybody wants to see more of that. No mm-hmm. question about it. And then, you know, conversely, Darnell Savage, a guy that everybody was super high on for a long time. We thought that we had ourselves a stud in Darnell. And as we stand today, I think had the Packers not already picked up his fifth year option, there's a good chance he wouldn't even be on the team next year with the way he's no played doubt. this year. Just been awful. He seems to be suffering from haha Clinton Dick syndrome. Uh, don't say that. Don't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want it, but it, 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 the comparison is pretty inevitable, I think. In, in 2019, so we drafted Rashawn Gary, and I didn't want Rashawn Gary. Um, I was very happy with Rashawn Gary, but yeah. I'm I'm very happy with him now, no question. Yeah, about it. yeah, yeah. Uh, we drafted Darnell Savage, and I was uh, fine with that. But who I really wanted in that season, I I, uh, I had some, some interest in Dwayne Haskins just because outside of Kyler Murray, he was the only – uh, quarterback in that class that I really felt like, uh, you know, was worth picking up. I, I was not super high on Daniel Jones or any of those other guys. Right. Um, and, and I thought that, that, that Haskins had a solid floor and obviously, you know, that didn't pan out at all. Right. Uh, but the other guy I really wanted was DK Metcalf. I was like crazy in love with DK Metcalf. I hated the entire rest of of that receiver draft class, which is mm-hmm. funny because you got AJ Brown there. Who's been a stud. Um, uh, Terry McLaurin, of course, has, has yeah. been phenomenal. And um, then they also drafted Debo Samuel in that year. And I, and, and I, I just, um, those were not the guys who were getting talked about. You know, you had like Nikhil Harry was one of the huge yeah. names in that draft class. And I like, I was like throwing up in my mouth. I, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't stand his game. Um, of course, Hollywood Brown, I think was in that class. Yeah. yeah Hollywood Brown ended up being a first round pick. Um, I just wasn't interested in him, but DK Metcalf, I was gushing over. I was over the moon about DK Metcalf. And then 
Um, you ended up with Rashawn Gary and Darnell Savage. And I remember just sitting there like, oh, the Packers just don't care about their offense at all. What is this? Uh, I don't know. It's kind of funny how it all pans out in the end. Yeah, hindsight is twenty twenty, And, uh, you know, you do remember some of those things where you're you're hoping for this guy. You're sure this player is, is the answer and this other guy is nothing. And then five years later, you're like, what was I thinking? How did that happen? So, yeah. Pretty interesting. And then in the 2020 draft class, of course, um, it, it that was the year everybody, everybody felt like we needed to get a wide receiver. That was mm-hmm. of all the years that fans have clamored for wide receiver. That was like the year that people clamored the most. And, and it was largely based on the fact that there were like seven of them. <laughs> you know, seven really good first ones. Round yeah. grades. Yeah. And then the, you know, the 2019 offense didn't look good. Um, I, I think some of that was due to, you know, the, uh, the wide receivers coach who got fired at the end of that season. And, and he just felt like, you know, it was Devonte and nobody like Geronimo Allison was just hot garbage that year. MVS had not found his stride in any way, shape or form. Who was the other guy we had that late? Oh, that was the, the year that Alan Lazard emerged. But, yeah. So you, you kind of finished that season feeling like we got, we got Devante, we got this like wide receiver three guy in Alan Lazard and like, that's it. And then you go into this draft class and there's, it's just the most stacked wide receiver draft class you've ever seen in your life. And of course, so 2020, I was obsessed, obsessed with Justin Herbert. I would have moved mountains to go get Justin Herbert. Mm-hmm. He was my guy in that draft class. But I also, I loved the wide receivers. And then, you know, as they're just ticking away off the board, I mean, this panic starts to set in. Like, the Packers have to trade up because there's, right. like, nobody left. And by the time the Packers were on the clock, and they did trade up, by the time they were on the clock, I remember I was looking at my TV, and I was sitting there with my uh, with my buddy, and I I turned to him and I said, they're either going to draft T Higgins or Jordan Love. There's nobody <laughs> else that they're, that they're going to be considering. And he's like, oh, isn't Jordan Love that guy that you can't stand? I said, well, I don't like T Higgins either. And then, <laughs> and then Jordan Love popped up on screen and I just looked at it. And I just remember just thinking like, I don't have any idea what is going on, but I also don't know like who else you should have taken here. Right, right. So I don't know. And, and, and of course, that was the weirdest draft class. And and I, I think I think looking at the 2022 offseason, trying to bring it back to you know our topic at hand, even though I love reminiscing about the past. <laughs> but looking at this this 2022 offseason, there's a lot of questions the Packers have to answer. And I think, oh, yeah, I, I think the number one most important thing is Matt LaFleur. And any coaches who are going to keep their jobs and stick out, you know, until next year Mm -hmm. have to be able to answer the question. What the hell happened? Why are the Packers bad? Because when Joe Barry or Matt LaFleur go up to the uh, up to the podium, they don't have answers. You know, the 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 Beatle asking questions like, you know, why? You know, why is this not working? Yada, yada. You know, why are you still struggling in this area? And. And Matt LaFleur is like, oh, man, I, I wish I knew. And I'm just yeah, saying, look, Matt, I, I like, he's I not like willing to say. I, I think he knows. He's just not willing to say. Well, what what, what do you think his answer is? If, if you know, if he had him alone. If, if I had him alone and I gave him truth serum or something like that, I mean, 
you know, I, I well, think. Hang, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me stop you. Yeah. I, I think that the the Aaron Rodgers thing is is a thing, but mm-hmm. it doesn't explain the defense. Right. Right. So so you could give him a truth serum and he could he could admit that Aaron has not played as well as you'd like. And he'll point to the thumb and he'll point to the offensive line inconsistency and the young receivers. So he'll try to deflect a lot of the blame away from Aaron. But and the defense though. That but this is like the, the, the defense, whole team all our best players are not our best players. Our best players correct. are some of our worst players. Well, look I, I can tie this in. I, I was working on uh, the article for the Packers Post that will come out on Friday of this week. Uh, is about do any Packers deserve to go to the Pro Bowl? And my answer, quite honestly, is probably no. Uh, I think Aaron Jones is the closest we have. But Rashawn Gary, if he had not gotten hurt, he's he's but, the only right, guy. But he's not. For. Right, but Rashawn Gary did get hurt. Um, And when you talk about our best players, you go down the list of past Pro Bowl performers and all pros. Aaron Rodgers, he's definitely not one of the top three quarterbacks in the NFC this year. Uh, Aaron Jones right now is fifth in yards gained in the NFC in rushing yards, and he has a game more played than everybody else who's ahead of him. Uh. You're you're not putting Bakhtiari there. He didn't play enough games. Elton Jenkins doesn't deserve it. Uh, Devondre Campbell missed a lot of time, doesn't deserve it. Kenny Clark hasn't been consistent. Jair Alexander hasn't been consistent. Some of those guys may get alternate status or get votes based on reputation, but do any of those guys belong in the Pro Bowl this year? And those are the guys coming into the season that, like you said, these are our best players. These are the guys we're building around. None of them belong in the Pro Bowl this year no. based on their performance. And that's I mean, I, disappointing. I think a lot of our guys on defense, like if they weren't getting paid what they're getting paid, I'm not sure that they deserve to be starters. You know, look at, look at the way some of them are playing. You got, I mean, like we talked, uh, I, I say we meaning like the Packers uh, analysts collectively. We talked for months about the Darnell Savage problem and talked for certainly for weeks about like, it is time to give Darnell's job to Rudy Ford. Mm -hmm. They did it. And Rudy's played better than Darnell did. It's not that that's a high bar, but yeah. Yeah. I I mean, you know, you look at the, at the defense and like clearly. So after talking to Chris Jackie, clearly the, Leadership in the room is a problem. And, and I'm, I'm trying to assess like who they are missing that, you know, that, that this has been a big deal. I think that having Devondre Campbell out hurt them. Losing Rashawn Gary obviously has hurt them. I look at some of the guys that we have lost, you know, in the offseason. I think that Shandon Sullivan was a really smart, tough leader. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Darius for sure. Well, yeah, I mean that is that's clearly a thing if you throw out twenty twenty one, right? And and I and I don't know why they were still able to be good in twenty twenty one without Zadarius. I guess I would again for the millionth time point to the stretch where they had Whitney Merciless. Mm-hmm. You know, Whitney absolutely is a leader, and I think that I think that, that made an impact. 
you know, that that stretch was when the defense was good. And when they didn't have Whitney, the rest of the year kind of struggled. Yeah. yeah. So I, I don't know. And I, I think that Jair right now is a problem. He he did have the game ceiling interception last week. That was great. But like he's he's not playing great. He's you know getting cooked by terrible. Equinemia Saint like, Brown. <laughs> yeah, EQ and Nikhil Harry, and you know just getting cooked by like garbage players. Like every multiple times a month, he gets cooked. Yep. And, and I don't think his attitude is great. And I don't you know from my way too far away vantage point, I don't see leadership from him at all. I really I don't, don't. I don't know if I agree with that. And, and I'll sort of look at it this way. I think his attitude, his cockiness, his confidence is part of what makes him as good as he has been in the past and makes him the player that he is. And I think that on a winning team, on a team that things are going well on, that attitude helps the locker room. But right. when things are going with that. But when things are going badly and the attitude doesn't change, then it can be sort of a, a, a poisonous thing or a frustrating thing for teammates. And that's when a guy like Zadarius, to me, could come in and, and sort of change that atmosphere in the locker room a little bit. Because one thing we noticed in 2019, if we go back to the, our original premise here, 2019, Preston Smith, Adrian Amos, Zadarius Smith didn't only upgrade the talent level of the defense. Right. They changed right. the attitude, not just for the defense, but for the team in the locker room. And, and you could add uh, Turner into that as well, because he was the fourth free agent that they added. But the the attitude in that locker room, you added Matt LaFleur, you added those free agents. I think it made a big impact on the team. And right now, I don't know. Look, you could say a lot of things about Aaron Rodgers. But one thing that I don't think is clear is whether or not he is a great leader when things are tough. And right now, there is, like Jair Alexander, probably not great when things are tough as far as leadership goes. Aaron Rodgers, not really coming across as the, as, as the ultimate leader when things are tough and the team is struggling. They need somebody who will fill that role and right now, uh, you know, especially after hearing what Chris Jackie said on the show a couple of weeks ago, I really don't think they have that. Yeah. Back to the Jair thing. I, his, I, I don't have a problem with his attitude of cockiness. I'm not, I, I think that a corner needs to have that. Absolutely. When I reference like his attitude, not being great, I'm thinking of things like, you know, Zadaria style complaining about not being voted a captain. Right. Um, you know, publicly whining and complaining about the scheme and the play calling. Like, okay, you think that's not having an effect on your teammates hearing you dog the, the scheme and the play calling? Like if you have a problem with it, like go talk to your coach privately and work that out. And maybe he did that. And maybe, you know, there, maybe there just absolutely was no give, but I'm sorry, like your your next step is not to sour the rest of the locker room against the scheme that you're all supposed to be running. Well, you know, 
I get the feeling, and again, you and I are not in that locker room, so it's it's all speculation on our part. But I get the feeling that what he expressed is something he'd already discussed with his teammates at probably numerous times before his frustration spilled over and he went and and made those comments to the press. And I'm not defending the way he made those comments. That is something that should be kept in-house. But I, I get the feeling that that was not just his thoughts, that he had already tried to discuss this and the team is frustrated. And if you want to take it even back further to the big picture, like what we're, you know, sort of getting at, if you have the truth serum with Matt LaFleur trying to answer the question, it has to be part of the answer in my mind is that there's only two possibilities. Either this defense isn't as talented as we thought it was, or the scheme we're running isn't maximizing that talent. And I mean, you also just have like extremely undisciplined players, not standing in the right spots, not executing their assignments, missing tackles. Like that's not scheme. You know, but I, I, I think based on like how Chris Jackie was talking, I don't think that he would point to the coaches, you know, to, to blame for those issues with, with discipline and execution, but I don't know who else to point to. And, and, you know, to your point about Jair, just kind of, you know, publicly verbalizing what other guys in the locker room are already saying, okay, well, you're not describing a leader. You're describing a, a follower or, you know, just someone who is not trying to influence his teammates to be better. I know he's stirring things up. He's stirring things up. And and, and across the defense, you got, you got other attitudinal and effort and execution based issues. You know, Kenny Clark, just, you know, given like 30% effort per rep. Uh, Preston Smith missing tackles. Devondre Campbell missing tackles. Adrian Amos forgetting how to play football. I mean, just like any of the guys you would point to on our defense who are supposed to be leaders. Well, Darnell either, Savage forgetting how to tackle. Uh, and anybody who's supposed to be a leader is either on IR or has like either forgotten how to play football or doesn't care about about what they're doing out there. And, and the, the, the guys who are making the biggest impact on defense are the guys who don't have nice cushy contracts. You know, you don't have the pedigree, right? It's your, Rudy it's your Ford Rudy and, Ford and, Nixon and, and Nixon's and, yeah. and you know, your Walker. I mean, you can be, I, I well, you can have, you can have frustration with, with the um, uh, mechanics with it Quay Walker has and, and, you know, where his head knowledge and that kind of stuff. And is he staying in the right spot and, and, and doing the right thing, but you can't question his effort. No, you can't question his effort, but can you again, question Kenny's effort. Can you question Preston's effort? I sure yeah. can. Yeah. And, but, but again, uh, does any of that connect to the coaching staff where the scheme doesn't maximize the player's talents and they get frustrated. So they tune the coach out. I can't answer that question from afar, but I I think when you see it this far across the board, where it's not just one or two players, where it's almost all the players on the defense who are supposed to be leaders, who are supposed to be the best players, eventually something you have to question whether or not these guys are tuning things out. Absolutely. I mean, somebody has to answer the question, why are 
most of your star players having career worst years at the exact same time. Yep. And like, okay, oh, oh, we lost Rashawn. Oh, boo hoo. We only have three first round picks starting instead of the seven we had at the beginning of the year because uh, two of them are on IR and one of them got benched. You know, I mean, boo hoo. Oh, we only have three um, expensive big name free agents. Right. Oh, no. Like, I'm sorry. Cry me a river. Plenty of other defenses in the league have less talent and are doing a better job than you guys are. They are. And and as we were discussing before we started recording this, the scary statistic is Rashawn Gary has missed the last four games and he still leads this team with six sacks. He might still lead them at the end of the season, honestly. Well, Preston is a half a sack behind, so it won't take much. But yeah, it, but he's it, also it's, not giving much for the record. <laughs> no, he's not. But, but it, it's not just the defense. All right. The the I consider. 27 points to kind of be the threshold on offense or defense. If you as a defense hold the opposing team to less than 27 points, I think you should have a, an expectation that your offense will win it for you. If Mm -hmm. offensively you score at least 27 points, I think you have an expectation that your defense is going to um, do enough that that 27 or more is going to get the job done. If we use that as the threshold, the Packers offense has had eight, unacceptable performances. The Packers of, defense has had 13. six. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Six unacceptable. Let's see. An eight plus eight plus six is 14. I mean, honestly, the fact that they have six wins right now, kind of impressive. Five. <laughs> uh, five. Uh, yes. I, you know what? I'm, I must have just, I must have come from the future where we played the, the, the depleted Rams who have right. absolutely nothing to offer. <laughs> The fact that we have five wins is nothing short of miraculous when you consider how many bad games the offense and defense combined have had. Yeah. Yeah. And and that's the frustrating thing. And, you know, quite honestly, I still also can't say that the offensive scheme has been the way it should be and that they have maximized the available talent that they have uh, so, over the so, course so of the, the off- season. The offense is interesting because – Obviously, there are a lot of problems, and and offensively, it has felt like whack-a-mole at times. Like, okay, you know, Rodgers is just too banged up and, like, doesn't know how to play anymore, and then he has his game against the Bills or, or the Cowboys where he just looks fantastic. Okay, well, I, you know, I thought you had a broken thumb, and I thought you had cracked ribs, and, and I thought your back hurt and your leg hurt and all that. Okay, but apparently, you can decide because you care enough to play great for, for these two games. Okay but we're still playing whack-a-ball, all right? The, you know, the, the offensive line just didn't know how to do anything for the first, like, five weeks of the season. Now the offensive line, a lot of the times, just, you know, plays fine, and then, like, something else falls, falls apart. And, like, okay, for a while, like, the receivers were fine, and they were, like, consistently getting open, and just Aaron wasn't seeing them and, and, and wasn't throwing to wide-open guys, and then Aaron starts playing better, and all of a sudden we find out that our receivers can't beat, you know, press man coverage, and you're just, like, and they also, a lot of them got hurt. You you had yeah. Lazard missing time. You had yeah. Watkins missing time. You had Watson missing time. Cobb missing time. Who stayed healthy for all the games? Nobody. Dobbs missing time. I mean. Yeah. I, I, I can't think of any receivers we've had that have stayed healthy all year. Yeah. Two so, but he's not a starter. Yeah. yeah. So, it, I mean, and Amari Rodgers was useless. 
And, and I think you add another point to the equation where what is taking this coaching staff so long to replace players that are playing terribly? Why, based on what we've seen, for example, from Keyshawn Nixon, how could he not have, A, won the job in training camp over Amari Rogers as the return specialist? Did, and they, did we, they use Keyshawn in training camp? A li- yeah, he was, on, he on was competing. But once Amari Rogers continues to stink game after game after game and fumble way too often, how do you not just say, okay, you're benched? How do you oh, well, not bench well, we, Darnell Savage until week 10 or whatever it was that, that you know? Yeah. It, it, the, I, mean, I, I have an answer to both of those. I do. I have an answer, but I think it's a bad one. Well, You don't want to give up on high draft picks. That's the answer. Yeah. But but it's I mean the the, the the offensive coaching staff had already one hundred percent decided that Amari Rogers had absolutely no role offensively. They were not going to let him play on offense. Correct. Period. And the only reason that that he was getting those punt return looks is because they wanted to give him some shot to earn his way back toward playing time, which I I, I never understood the freaking punt return thing because that that was never in his skill set it was never in his repertoire not something he did in college clearly not something he was ever good at in the pros why couldn't you let him play receiver and 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 i don't know what the reason is you know the the, the coaching staff just did not like him on offense i they i don't know what he was he, he must have been the worst player ever in practice because i mean like he was all he was consistently consistently on like you know, the third team in practice, like since, since he got here and like, yeah, he was not a great draft prospect. He was a very limited athlete. Um, You know, a lot of people would say much more suited to be a running back than a receiver. I think that a lot of his touches at Clemson were, uh, you know, he was getting schemed open and that kind of stuff. And, but still like the backers never tried to do anything like that with him. He somehow, he got himself in the doghouse as a rookie. And then that was it. And he never, ever had any kind of role at all in, in the offense and, and, and Goody didn't want to give up on a high draft pick. And that's why they were still giving him looks at punt return. I mean, it's, it's, it's the sad truth, but it is. And, and with Darnell, I mean, I, I wind all off season. You had to listen to it and put up with it, but I wind all off season about the fact that they weren't bringing in more safeties and they were going into the season with just two safeties. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I what do you do? You don't have any more safeties. And then, you know, little by little, Rudy Ford, who he brought in to just be a gunner, uh, is is proving himself in, in limited capacity as I think it was Amos missed time first. And I think Darnell missed a little bit of time. And so Rudy's getting some looks on defense and they're kind of starting to realize, well, maybe maybe he's actually better than what we have in, in in Darnell. And sure enough, he's at least more dependable, more consistent. Yeah. I think coaching has been a problem on both sides of the ball. And, you know, again, even think about the beginning of this season. We knew coming into this season that the offense was a work in progress, that we had our two best offensive linemen are returning from major knee injuries and we're not going to be 100% to start the season. We knew we had a young receiving core that – had very little experience with the team and was, again, a work in progress. So 
why didn't we start the season with an emphasis on running the football and scheming players open in the passing game? Uh, we, we didn't do that. And whether I, I, we still don't know whether that was something that Matt LaFleur refused to do or whether Aaron Rodgers was changing plays at the line of scrimmage or not running uh, plays that Matt LaFleur had originally called. But, you know, early in the season, we're forcing deep balls down the field, which wasn't working. We're not running the ball consistently enough and giving enough touches to A.J. Dillon and Aaron Jones, who were the two most proven, consistent offensive weapons outside of Rodgers left in the lineup. And then you wonder why we're not getting 27 points a game, because you're not playing to your strengths. And you're not adjusting to the fact it was almost like we were trying to run the 2020 offense without the 2020 roster. And that's, you know, you don't have Devontae Adams. You don't have Marquez Valdez-Scantling. You don't have Bakhtiari healthy. You don't have Jenkins healthy. It's not going to work the same way. You have to adjust to the reality that's in front of you. And I don't feel like the quarterback and the play calling did a good job of that and and the amazing thing is we were three and one. It was kind of with mirrors, but we were three and one at one point before yeah. the bottom fell out. Gil, uh, a lot of questions are going to have to be answered in the off season about the roster. You got a bunch of guys, uh, guys who are free agents. Adrian Amos, I don't think he's coming back. Randall Cobb is a free agent. I don't know if he's coming back, but I, I would lean toward yes. Probably gets a, a one year deal, something like that. Dean Lowry is a free agent, Mason Crosby, of course, Elton Jenkins. And, and, you know, do you pay him as a guard or a tackle? That's obviously a big decision. Mercedes Lewis still is a free agent after this year. Al Lazard is a free agent. I think there might be significant questions about the Packers relationship with Al Lazard. You know, he sat out through, um, a lot of the summer because of a contract dispute, and then they ended up not paying him. And I think that he might, I think that it is reasonable to leave some room for, he might be ready to walk out of here and go find a different team that he feels more appreciated by. I, I think it's reasonable to think that. Well, I, I think Onions it's also, a free agent. I, I think it's also reasonable to assume based on the Packers cap situation that he'll get a better offer from someone else. Yeah. Tunyon, free agent. Yeah. Uh, Jaron Reed. I mean, I, I don't really care. Free agent. Yeah. Sammy Watkins, free agent. Uh, Down Levitt and John, and Rudy Ford. Yash Nyman, free agent. Keyshawn Nixon. Uh, Tyler Davis. Don't really care about that one either. No. A bunch of guys who are free agents. And this will be a lot to talk about as the season is winding down, especially assuming that we're not in the playoffs. Right. Um, which we still could be, but, but not going to happen. Certainly no, certainly no guarantee. Uh, but, but the other thing I'm interested in is the coaching staff, because I, I think that with the way there has just been so much systemic failure across the board and so many guys having career worst years and just like horrific execution across the board, I think it's very fair to question how many of these guys deserve to come back. So I, I want to go through, I'm going to give you a, a list of coaches who I would say, I don't think we need to question. And you can tell me if, if you disagree. Okay. All right. I think uh, Tom Clements as quarterback coach, probably totally safe. Probably. Yes. 
Ben Sermon's running backs coach, probably totally safe. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then uh, Jason Vrabel, wide receivers coach, totally safe. Probably, yes. Um, Unless they get better offers to move up to a better, you know, a a higher position if someone offers them an OC job or something. But yes. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm I'm totally just talking about whether Matt LaFleur should fire somebody. Okay. Yeah, safe. Yes. Okay. So so those guys are safe. Um, I don't think I can... Uh, Rich Basaccia, probably safe. Yes. I don't think I can confidently 100% say anybody else is safe. Is there anybody else that you think has to be on the, like, come on, it's crazy to have this conversation. <laughs> no, nobody including, else. Including Matt LaFleur. Like, is it crazy to think, is it like, like totally just talking out my butt to think that maybe there's a chance that you have a, a lack of faith in Matt LaFleur after the season? I don't think that's crazy. I don't think he's on the hot seat. I think, I think if you get off to like a two and five start next year, that, that, that seat could get really hot. Sure. But I think, you know, three straight 13 win seasons to start your coaching career in green Bay gets him a mulligan for this year. Okay. LaFleur receivers, quarterbacks, running backs. Um, I think everybody else. Oh, you know what? Um, I'm totally drawing a blank on the guy's name. John. What's our tight ends coach name? New guy oh. this year. Uh, yeah, I'm blanking out. We got also. him from the Jets. Anyways, that guy, I, I don't think you have any problems with the way he's been coaching. I think that they should get some more talent for him. But, I mean, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think you have any any problems with the way those guys are playing based on, like, who you know those players to be. Right. All right. Th- th- that means the only offensive coach to talk about would be uh, the Adam Senevich offensive coordinator and Luke Butkus offensive line like tandem because those guys are joined at the hip well i think i think that's the only one offensively to have any kind of a conversation about and i'm I'm not saying that i think we should move on from them but i think based on the way the offensive line has played you have to have a conversation about how you feel about them i don't think the offensive line has played that badly given the musical chairs that they've had to deal with and the injuries and, and everything else uh, I mean, I, I think I look at the development of Yash Nyman, the quick development of Zach Tom, uh, the the steadiness, certainly not spectacular, but Josh Myers, steady, solid. John Runyon, very solid. Uh, Bakhtiari, after coming back from injury, played well when he played, but obviously his availability has been an issue all season. And even Jenkins has improved since they moved him back to guard. I'm not overly worried about the offensive line coach per se. Uh, Let me ask you a question though. What about the constant shuffling of offensive line pieces? Does that, I I will say that concerns me. And I know, I know that injury has played a big part in this. Yes. But is it all, is all of the shuffling excusable based on, well, you didn't know this injury was going to happen. Like it, like it's crazy to, you know, to, to hold me accountable for the fact that, you know, that this guy tweaked whatever. And so now we got to move four out of our five guys around. Well, I'll say this. The one has it, thing, has it been handled the best way it could have. I mean, in hindsight, there are certainly some things that they could do differently, but I will say this, at least when it came to Royce Newman, for example, they didn't wait too long to sit him maybe a week or two longer than I would have, but they gave him every chance. And they gave uh, Jenkins maybe a week longer than I would have given 
before moving him back inside. But those were not glaring delays. It wasn't like the Amari oh, Rodgers returning punts. It was those delays to me were exciting. I felt like Elton Jenkins at right tackle to start the season was ludicrous from the start. And, and the, I mean, how long, how long was he out there too? Like six weeks? No, it was more like three or four. I think. I, I think it was longer than three or four weeks. Like we were, we were already like well into our, our losing stretch when they moved him. Right. I don't, I don't think they moved him any earlier than week five. I think week five at the earliest was when they moved him back. In, in okay. Um, let's see who could we, yeah, I'm trying to see whose stats we could look at to maybe Yash. Okay. Yash. Well, look, all right. Week one, where are the starters starting lineup? He's, uh, week one, you go with, uh, okay. Week one was. Myers at center, Runyon at left guard, Hanson at right guard, Newman yeah, at right tackle, and Nyman at left tackle. That was I, I forgot one. about the Hanson thing. Like, I, I'm serious. I, at the offensive line, they the Hanson thing was ridiculous. Head scratching yeah. decisions throughout the season, and like, yes, they have a lineup right now that's working. But I mean, wow, we took a lot of detours to get here. Can you jump ahead to week five and see who was right tackle in week five? Yeah, I'm, I'm taking a look now. Hold on. I don't even know what site you're using. I, I'm I'm actually using uh, ProFootballReference.com right now. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, week five, uh, that would be the Giants game. Yeah, who is their right tackle? Week five is Myers at center, still Newman at right guard, Bakhtieri at left tackle. Runyon at left tackle and Jenkins still. Okay. So it was at least five weeks. I, I, I yeah. just think it was, it was crazy long. how long they did that. I, yeah. I'm not, I, I'm certainly not saying I want to fire Buckus, but, or, or and, and I'm not saying that I want to demote Steno, but like you have to handle this better. And like, there has to be conversations. Like you, you have to make these guys go through the decisions they made this year and assess how they arrive at those conclusions, um, you know, with the benefit of hindsight. Yep. You know, how, how can you do better going forward? Cause I will just say that I know way less about offensive line than these guys do. And I was calling these, these decisions stupid and it was blowing up in their face. I, there are a lot of things that the Packers do that I disagree with that work out at offensive line. They have not done a lot of things that I have criticized that did work out at offensive line. Like so, some of this stuff <laughs> is a little bit basic. Like you don't put the guy out at right tackle who is recovering from a torn ACL and has never played right tackle and is like way ahead of schedule to get back playing. Like you just don't do that. Right. So I don't know. I like, all right, enough on the offense. We got to, we got to do the defense. This one I, I think is going to be more spicy. <laughs> All right, Kirk Olvidati. Here, uh, here's my here's my ten second spiel on on Kirk. He's had one great season out of one linebacker in the four years he's been here. Do can can you argue with that? Has has anybody else 
ever had a, a good or great season other than Devondre Campbell in 2021 under Kirk Olvidati. No, like you could you could point to Campbell in 2022, but he's massively regressed from where he was a year ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, but that being said, I don't think he had a lot of talent until Campbell in 2021. I, I, I'd like. I mean, you know, Blake Martinez, Christian Kirksey. Those are uh, those are Jags to me. Yeah, but but like he got worse than Jag play out of him. Sometimes, yes. And 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 Blake Martinez, by the way, at the time that Kirk got in here, was very highly thought of by like everybody across the NFL. Like Blake was not just a guy when Kirk got in got in here. And like right. Campbell, Campbell had never been great until he got here and, and kind of turned into something really, really special. And that's fantastic. But like are you really happy with what we're getting out of Quay Walker as a rookie? I think it's 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 debatable, but he's playing a little bit below where you would like for a rookie. You know, we, we never got anything out of our third round pick, Oren Burks. We never got anything out of, you know, Ty Summers. Uh, Chris Barnes flashed for like four games and then has been coasting on that reputation ever since. I just think that the middle linebacker play in Green Bay has always been less than what you thought you had in those players with the exception of Campbell last year. I just, I don't know. Like his Kirk's guys like always look lost out there mm -hmm. and, and you know, so Campbell came in and has been good, but like our new defensive coordinator is a linebackers coach. So can we really credit Kirk for that? <laughs> well, we don't know. We don't know, but I, you talk about our new uh, defensive coordinator. I think at the end of this year, he'll be our former defensive coordinator. So could be, could be. I mean, I, you and I had conversations, I think about that. Sean Menenga should not be brought back. And he was, and yeah. we had conversations about Mo Drayton is a, a baffling head scratching hire. And that didn't pan out. And Joe Barry, we thought was a questionable hire. We certainly saw a path to how it could work out. I, I, just, I do question Matt LaFleur's hiring and retaining judgment at this point. I'll just, I'll just put it that way. Well, if I'm not saying that I, I'm not saying that I am demanding for Joe Barry to be fired. I think a lot of other people are though. I am. I, I reached that point after the, after the Tennessee game. Go ahead. That, that performance just showed me that his, inability to maximize the talent and make in-game adjustments. That was a killer. The in-game adjustments are awful. Yeah. The in-game, both sides of the ball, quite honestly, but, but the in-game adjustments on defense are particularly glaring in my mind. Credit where credit is due. Uh, the second half against the bears this last week. Yes. They played really well. They completely, nullified the bears offense this past week. So we do have to give them credit for that. We have to, they held them to 19 points. Yep. Other teams are not holding the bears to 19 points right now. So we have to give Joe Barry credit for that. Uh, other position coaches before we run out of time here. All right. Um, Jerry Montgomery on the D line. This is an interesting one because I think we always give Jerry Montgomery his flowers and we always kind of hype him up and praise him as one of our better position coaches. But like, has our D line ever been good? 
mm, under him? Mm, like, like Kenny Clark has just about every year he finishes really strong. He has uh really good games toward the end of the season and he finished going like, man, like Kenny's just a beast. And then he starts out the next season slow. Well, I think he played Everybody, very well the first three or four games this year and then he fell off the deep end, but yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean the, the guys that we have right now, Clark, Lowry, Reed, Wyatt, Slayton, like you should not have any problems at all on the defensive line. If you look at the position grades on PFF, by far the worst graded position group is the defensive line. Our tackles are ju- playing just horrific football. Let me pull up uh, Kenny Clark specifically right here just for a second. And people get annoyed because they think that I'm picking on Kenny too much. But like, I'm sorry, like you're supposed to be one of our best dudes and you're playing well below what you've shown us you're capable of. So his he started out hot. He had one bad game in week four against the Giants. Other than that, his first six games of the season were fantastic. Mm -hmm. And in week seven, he has first less than impressive grade other than the um, did I say Giants game was his bad one? I meant the Patriots one. Patriots game was his bad game. Okay, he was good again against the Giants. Um, Good against the Jets. Washington, he had a 62 grade. So just a hair above average. He followed up by 37 against the Bills, 32 against the Lions, 47 against the Cowboys. He had a, a finally a bit of a bounce back game against the Titans. He had a 65 grade um, and then back down to a 46 against the Eagles. And then he logged a 63 this past week against Chicago. Like this is not good. This is seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, seven games in a row of well below acceptable performance from Kenny. And he's supposed to be one of our star players. He's supposed to be one of the, the huge leaders on this defense. And like you watched like the Philly game in particular, you watched that Philly game. He was hot garbage. He was not even trying. He would, he just kind of like slowly jogged around in place. And then like, Oh, you know, I could put an arm out and, and tackle Jalen hurts, but I'll let somebody else get that. Like it was pathetic. (laughs) I, if the dude is sick or injured or something, he needs to take some time off. If he's just if he just doesn't care, then I think we should give his snaps to Devontae Wyatt, who's playing quite well. Well, you know, the, the problem is that after Kenny Clark, even with the additions they made this year, he is by far their most talented and most dangerous defensive lineman. And. I don't think the team is eager to bench him right now, but has it been a problem the way he's played this year? Absolutely. And it's been a big disappointment, but he's hardly alone, unfortunately, in that respect. I just have questions about Jerry Montgomery at this point, because like 2019, we had a really good D line. And, and like, since then we have complained about the defensive tackles and like minus Kenny, like we're always like, oh, you know, Kenny's amazing, but the rest of the D line stinks. And that's why we can never stop the run. Like we're always mad at like basically just Dean Lowry. That's basically who we're always mad at is just because <laughs> we don't want to criticize Kenny Clark and we don't want to criticize uh, Jerry Montgomery. I, right. I just I have some questions here. Uh, how do we feel about uh, Jason Rebovich's first year 
as the outside linebackers coach. Um, he's coached up Kingsley and Nagbar, uh, fifth round rookie this season. He is, I think, um, over the last several weeks, I know that he leads. Uh, is it does he lead the NFL or just rookies? I think he leads the NFL in uh, pass rush win rate over the last like three weeks. Mm-hmm. He's playing really some pretty pretty good football for a rookie. Yeah, of course, Rashawn Gary was playing pretty well. Preston and Rashawn both were struggling to tackle and struggling a bit in run defense before Rashawn went out. But in terms of pass rush, like Rashawn has been phenomenal. Uh, Preston having a bit of a down year compared to last year, but still doing a good job. I think with Kingsley and the way he's playing, I, I think you know your biggest frustration with the uh, edge rusher uh, room as, as a whole is just that it's thin, that you would like more guys in there if it weren't mm-hmm. for this little thing called the salary cap. Little do detail. we like, do we like the job that Jason Rebervish has done? Uh, I don't think it's a, a situation where he should automatically be fired, but I can't say it's been the best job ever. Uh, but I would keep him around. I, I think that his, uh, Biggest accomplishment this year has been coaching up Kingsley, who came in as a guy that we had some very serious concerns about his ability to defend the run. Mm-hmm. And he he seemed to have learned the scheme pretty quickly. His run defense grade on the season is a 60.7, which for a rookie, I'm not mad about that. No, not mad. So I, I think that the coaching up of Kingsley has been uh, one of his best accomplishments. Um and then, uh, you know, if you're looking at the DBs, I'm obviously we're we're frustrated with the DB play across the board. It's it's been underwhelming. It's not been as good as advertised. Correct. And so you got to look at Jerry Gray and new safeties coach Ryan Downard, and I think you got to do some soul searching here. Yeah, I think you're right. I I, I think that's a hundred percent right, and. It'll be interesting to see how far the changes go during this offseason. Adrian Amos, Darnell Savage, I would say Rasul Douglas, Eric Stokes. You know, these guys are all playing way below where we thought they would be. And then, you know, you can you can you can be pleased with the uh, starting cornerback level play that you're getting from Jair. But is he playing like you thought Jair would play this? No. year? I don't think anybody would say that. Not even close. So Not I don't know. I, I, I have massive questions. I, I, I think, you know, looking at, at the whole coaching staff, I have the most questions certainly on the defense and I'm mostly centering it on what the heck is Jerry Montgomery doing with his defensive tackles? Cause he absolutely has enough talent to work with. No yeah. question about it. We give him more than enough talent. I don't think Kirk Olvidati does anything. I think he just sits in his office and practices kazoo all day. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what he does during working hours. And then, you know, just looking at the DBs, like, I like Jerry Gray. But, like, we're, I mean, something's got to change with the, with the secondary. The safeties and corners have been just downright bad this year. Yeah. no, There's no way to argue it. There is no way to argue it. Overall, Gil, you know, we, we, we have a couple games here. Maybe the Packers squeak into the playoffs. Maybe they do. The off season looms large and there's a lot of questions you got to answer. We didn't even touch on 
on the Aaron Rodgers situation because obviously you could spend multiple whole podcasts talking about that. But right. Man, there could be a lot of changes coming this offseason. Or maybe, maybe they just look at it and say, eh, we think that this and this and this were just flukes or injury related things. And you know what? We just need to run it back and this time it'll work. I, I don't know. I, I don't love that plan, but the Packers have a lot of questions they have to answer. And I think the first thing they have to sit down and start with is what went wrong this year? Do we know? And I, I will just say that I don't like, and you said that you just don't think that Matt LaFleur can say, mm-hmm. but he does know the answer. I don't like that Matt LaFleur stands up there and says, man, I wish I knew. I wish yeah, I knew that we were bad. If I knew I would fix it, you know, and Joe Barry's doing the same thing. All I'm saying is, <laughs> If you want to keep your job, when Mark Murphy asks that question, you better have an answer. I agree. I I, am not happy with that answer, and it makes him look like he doesn't know what he's doing, and I think he does know what he's doing. I think he probably does, and and um, you know if if there's if there are conversations that he needs to have and people he needs to fire or changes he needs to make, he has to have the cojones to make it happen. Absolutely. We have we have four games left. Uh, Rams, Dolphins, Vikings, Lions. How many do you think the Packers win out of those four? Two. I think it's one. I think they beat the Rams. Okay. But but I think you're you're thinking that they're going to beat the Lions as well. Yes, I'm thinking they're going to beat the Lions at home. If if the Packers offense does not come back down to earth and they keep playing really well. Uh, which is a big F because the Packers have not been able to consistently do good things all year. They they can do good things for a couple weeks and then they, they kind of let that slip. Right. If the offense can keep playing well and the defense can take like even gosh, even like a, like a 10% improvement, I think would be enough in some areas to really change the outcome of how many points they're giving up. Going four and out down the stretch is absolutely within grasp. The Vikings are very good. The Dolphins are very good. But like as as has been the case all year long, the Packers are not very far away from being good. They've been very bad, but they have not been very far away from being very good. They are so inconsistent. The thought of them putting together a five-game winning streak would require a lot of people to all of a sudden do things they haven't done all season. Impossible? No. But likely? No. If the Packers win against the Rams, it will be the first time since week four against the Patriots where they had an overtime victory um, that they have put up back-to-back wins all season. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly my point. The Rams are totally devastated right now. Um, well, well, we'll have to see if they can get something done, but I don't know. I, I, I think that the Packers should win that one. All right, Gil, any parting thoughts uh, as we get out of here and uh, enjoy our bye week where, you know what? We don't have any Packers football to watch, uh, but we got a bunch of uh, other interesting, fun games to watch this this week. Any parting well, thoughts from you? Here's my thought, and it may not be what you're asking, but it is my thought. Congratulations to David Bakhtiari and his wife on the birth of their first child. Yeah. Uh, definitely wanted to at least touch on that and uh, saw some pictures on social media, adorable uh, child. And, and hopefully everybody in that family is doing well. I love it. That's the perfect way to close us out. That is absolutely perfect. All right. That's it for today. We'll be right back here next week. 
Follow us on Twitter at Gil Packers and at JJ Leahy to stay up to date on all things Packers or ask us questions. Or you can email us at asknohuddle at gmail.com. Make sure you're subscribed to Packers Talk on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to PackersTalk.com for powering our show, and thank you for listening. Until next time, Go Pack Go! Go Pack Go! You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com